official last day of Christmas? <clears throat> you didn't know? It is. And so before we tuck away the suit for one more year, um, today is actually Epiphany. It's what we call Epiphany. It's the celebration of the arrival of the wise men. Did you know there are actually 12 days of Christmas? According to the actual church calendar, they celebrate the 12 days of Christmas. If you look into it, it's kind of interesting. There, each of those days represents um, a facet of the gospel. It's not just a, a pretty song that's sung and, you know, like the new version that we've done that's just kind of weird. If you've not seen it, you have no idea why I just did that. Um, but you could look it up. Just Google it and you'll find it. Uh, 12 days of Christmas and it, it's just great. Um, but but it actually was to try to help the believers to learn the gospel, especially in times when they couldn't have the gospel. You know that most of the church actually is thriving with just very few pages of the scriptures. Because the Spirit can do that. And so, um, you know, to celebrate Epiphany, uh, I wore this today. In fact, my neighbor took down his Christmas lights yesterday. I'm thinking, do you even know? It's... <laughs> But then I thought, you know, it's a gorgeous day. I'm going to probably regret not taking them down yesterday. But uh, I could not take them down uh, yesterday. So Mary, Mary Epiphany, Janet, I appreciate uh, you bringing that to my attention. And today is, though, uh, a happy new year. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Has it been a good year for you so far? I mean, six days in, hopefully it's been pretty good. The weather's been good. I mean, you can't really complain about the weather, maybe the way it started, but I mean, this is pretty good for January. I know it's not 60, Dwayne, but hey, it's better than, you know, it's better than it's been, and it looks good for the future if weathermen can be trusted, but as we know, they can't. So, um, you know, whatever day comes, it, it'll come. Enjoy today. When the sun is shining, enjoy today. How's that? Um, you made a New Year's resolution yet? Made a couple of them? I don't like New Year's resolutions. I don't know if that surprises you or if you kind of figured. Um, because I, I feel like when we do New Year's resolutions, we kind of set ourselves up to fail. Um, because we really, we, we set a New Year's resolution of this dream we have, but we really don't figure in what it's going to cost to get there. Does that make sense? I mean, we set New Year's resolutions, I'm going to read the Bible more, or I'm gonna, but we don't actually carve out time, white space in our schedule to actually accomplish that. And so then we just get frustrated and behind, and then we try to read like 15 chapters in a day to catch up. As if God is up in heaven hoping we just finish the Bible this year. I mean, he would rather us read one verse a day and apply it than read six chapters. I mean, that's the, that's the, the reality of it. And we just, we set ourselves up to fail um, and because of the, the disconnect in our lives. We don't see how what I'm doing right now is actually hindering me from getting where I want to go. If I continue with the behavior I'm doing right now, where am I going to end up? Not over there. So I got to change. I mean, that's the whole point of the gospel, isn't it? I mean, I want to be in the kingdom of God, but I don't want to actually change my behavior. I want the kingdom of God to appear around me, but I want to keep doing the same thing I've always done and expect a different result. It's like as church, we pray for revival as if revival is something that comes down upon us, but it's actually something that comes from within us. When we start aligning ourselves with what God's already said in his word, that's revival. Amen? Okay, good. Um, but in 2019, um, I really felt, and I shared a few weeks ago, that God was calling us to really focus on loving him and loving people. 
Maybe that makes me a hypocrite of sorts because I don't like New Year's resolutions, but I'm saying that God wants us in 2019 to love God and love people. And I know that all of us in this room right now are like, well, Pastor Tom, that's just kind of obvious. I mean, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbors yourself. We already know that. We already do that. And uh, my question is, do we? Do we really know what loving God looks like and what loving people looks like, or is there a disconnect? Do we say it and actually not live it? And so I really want to drill down on those two points over this year ahead to make sure that we're, we're catching the connection to our daily lives, to be really intentional about what we're doing. And we're going to start the year um, with the book, Awakening Pure Worship. This is what our huddles are studying. Um, this is what I'm going to be sharing on over the next several months as we talk about worshiping God or loving God and what that looks like in our lives. And we're actually going to focus today, I mean, this was a book Remember, Jeff Dio was here in September, and he preached on this and talked about the, the message that was in his heart, and that's kind of what we're going to do. And today, we're going to talk about what is worship. What is worship? And making sure that, you know, we say we should worship the Lord our God and serve Him only, but are we? I mean, what's that look like? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to actually do it in our lives. And so, we're going to dig into that concept through this book. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes people criticize the use of books. I mean, I've heard it. Sometimes in this church, people are like, I don't know why we do all these books. We just need to be in the Bible. That's what they say. And it sounds really spiritual when people say things like, I don't read man's words. I read God's words. That sounds really spiritual. And so you know what we do? We read through the Bible in a year and we really apply none of it. And somebody who reads this book, and there are scriptures in here that that person uses and kind of shows us in our life what that looks like and helps us actually apply that scripture to our life. So people who read this book actually grow sometimes more than people who read this book. This is milk. This is meat. You can have both. I mean, not all Christian books are Christian. They don't all actually based on the Bible. But the books we give you actually are based on the Bible, and we try to elaborate it. And for people who don't listen to man's words, just God's words, I don't know why they go to church and listen to sermons. Because all a sermon is is me taking God's words and helping us apply them to our lives the same way Jeff is. Because Jeff had an encounter with God. And here's something. Uh, in the body of Christ, I believe God reveals some things to certain people because he wants us to keep the need for one another. The only way I'm going to get something is from someone else, sometimes. I mean, I know that if it's possible that no one else is around me, like the underground church, God gives us what we need. But when we have each other, he wants us to need each other. Yep, and sometimes we have to choose it. So books can be bad, books can be good. Just reading this book isn't going to change your life. Applying the scripture in the book is going to change your life. Uh, attending prayer isn't going to change your life, but engaging in prayer is going to change your life. Does that make sense? It's not a, what we do on the outside necessarily that's most important. And so this week, we're focusing specifically on the introduction in chapters 1 and 2. And in your mailboxes, there was a copy of the Awakening Pure Worship devotional. If you don't want it, please don't throw it away because we can use it. Um, just put it back on the Welcome Center. There's a couple extra copies there. But I put them in the mailboxes for every adult. Uh, teenagers, if you want one, there's some on the, the table back there. If you don't want one, put yours on the table back there and someone else can take it. It's the discussion questions that we're going to be using as we meet together in our huddles. And if you can't be a part of a huddle but you want to maybe discuss it with yourself 
or allow the Holy Spirit to kind of work it into your heart. Uh, you don't actually have to discuss it with yourself. But if you want to get something out of it, you really have to dig deep into it. And so that's what we're trying to help you do. And this book is actually Jeff's testimony of encountering God. It's the story of the paradigm shift of what worship really is for him. Because he grew up in a traditional church where worship was singing a couple songs and then sitting down and moving on. And he didn't understand what worship was. He had an encounter with God that transformed his life. And he is what we call a worship leader. And he's defining what worship is. And worship is more than just music. And so today as we talk about what is worship, if you want to open to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to come back to Jeff's book here in a little bit, but we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5 today, and we're going to talk about intentional living. I believe that God has put that word intentional in our hearts as leaders, not just this year, it started last year, and we've been trying to do things intentionally, and we are going to continue to do it. And there are three verses in Ephesians chapter 5 that I speak, think speaks to this so clearly, and then hopefully we're going to make it back around to Jeff's book before we close. So Ephesians chapter 5, three verses in the middle of the chapter, verse 15 first. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So I want to take these three verses, and I want to apply them to our lives. And I want to start at the bottom and work my way back up, if that's permissible. Um, because I think that we have to understand the bottom before we understand, or how they connect together. And so that's just where we're going to start. And so Paul says first... Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord's will is or what the Lord's desire is. Thoughtlessly, if you don't know, means without thinking, without thought. It's just live, you know, the routine, the habit. I don't know if you've ever driven somewhere thoughtlessly or you've been preoccupied and you missed a turn. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, you maybe don't want to admit it. Dwayne's here. He works for State Radio. He might tell the Highway Patrol to watch for us. Um, and so, but you got to understand, you, we've all done that. Or we're, we, we get upstairs and we're like, shoot, why did I come up here? Um, because we, we, sometimes our bodies, our brains just respond to our habits. And so we live thoughtlessly. And what Paul is saying is, you have to have an intentionality to your life. You know, being a believer... Having the Holy Spirit live in you is no guarantee that you're going to know what the Lord's will is. If you just go through the habit of showing up to church and going back home and you get in the routine of reading the Bible every day, you could just begin to do it thoughtlessly, without thought. So my question is, do you know what the Lord's desire is for you? Do you know what his desire is for our church? Or this year, are we just going to keep coming back here day after day, week after week? Are we just going to keep going through the same motions and the same routine without thinking about it, assuming that we know his desire and frustrated that we're not actually getting anywhere? It's like we're on a treadmill. I don't want to live that way. I don't know about you all, but I want to get somewhere. I want to know what God's vision is for my life. I want to know what God's vision is for my family. And I want to know what God's vision is for our church. And his vision for our church may not be the same as the church across the street. In fact, maybe God loves the fact that we're all different because we're all wired to reach different people. And if we all do things the same way just because that's what everyone else is doing, how are we going to reach the people no one's reaching? 
Did you ever think about things like this? They, they keep me awake at night. But this is why you've elected me to serve as your pastor, because this is what I think about. This is what I pray about. I mean, you have a job somewhere else, so you think about that job, and you think about that thing. And then you come here, and I say, hey, what do you think God's saying about this? And you're like, well, I never thought about that. I know, but I'm going to make you think about it now, because God wants us to think about it. He doesn't want us to just live however. And so can you articulate what God's will is, or what his vision is for your family, for yourself, for your church? Because here's the thing. If you can't articulate the vision for our church, that's on you. I mean, I work every week, even though I'm not the secretary, putting a program together and putting things in your hands to tell you we have a prayer team in the front. Well, I didn't know we had a prayer team in the front to pray for our needs. Why not? Pastor Tom, I don't know what our budget is. Why not? My phone works. Are you here? See, I'm going to say some things today that if you fall asleep and wake up, you're going to be like, why is Pastor Tom saying that? That sounds mean. If you hear that, call me this week and say, hey, what did you mean by this? Because it sounded like it was wrong. And we'll talk about it and we'll see, you know, what I was really saying. And maybe I didn't say it the best. Okay? But here's what I know. You're not going to stumble into God's vision. You're going to intentionally walk into it. Proverbs chapter, oh, I forgot to put this screen up. What is God's vision? There you go. What is God's vision for your, I mean, I took the time to print it. I should put it up there. What's God's vision for your life, for your family, and for our church? Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. In other words, they just live like crazy when there's no focus. Where are we going? Everyone does what's right in their own eyes if we don't know where we're going. If you don't know where you're going, every day you're just going to do what feels right. If your family doesn't know where they're going, then your family's going to be in chaos. Maybe the reason your family's in chaos is they don't know where they're going. Are you here? See, this isn't, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm for you, not against you. God's for you, not against you. So if he disciplines you or corrects you, it's because he loves you. Because he knows there's better ways ahead, better days ahead. And the reason he corrects us is so we find those better days. But did you ever think about why we come to this building? Why do we sing songs at the start of the service? Why do we listen to a sermon? Why do we take an offering? Does the Bible command us to meet here on Sunday? Is that the best option? Is that what's going to reach the most people? What about a room this size? Does the Bible tell us to come to a room this size? If every one of us who comes has a gift to offer and you need to learn how to use your gift, if we're in a room with 500 people, how long are we going to have to stay here to make sure everybody gets to use their gift? Maybe it's better to have smaller rooms with smaller meetings on different days of the week because everyone's schedule is different. And Sunday morning, instead of us complaining that Sunday morning at 10 a.m. is no longer sacred in our culture, maybe we should just adapt. After all, the Bible doesn't say meet on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. I know, I'm asking a lot of questions. So we have to know what is cultural, what is biblical, what's a standard, what's negotiable. What matters most to us, our own preferences, or what actually reaches lost people? That's what we have to ask. And I know that all of us would answer, well, we want to reach lost people. But we want to watch, reach lost people with our preferences. They just need to learn to like them. And unfortunately, that doesn't reach lost people. You know what that does is it causes people to leave this church and go to that church. Amen. Church growth in the city of Huron is, by, by and large, people leaving this church to go to this church. Not people encountering God who never met him before. And there are people in Huron who need to encounter God who have never met him before. But we just move from church to church to church because I like that church better. I mean, it's, I kind of like that style. I mean, it doesn't matter what style God thinks I need. I prefer that style. 
Maybe God prefers you to be in a different style because it's going to make you grow the most. Some people have talked about, God led me to this church. I didn't really like the style, but I needed it. I love that. <laughs> I mean, I don't because I want you to like our style. <laughs> but I'm okay with the fact that this style is actually going to draw something out of you. My job is not to make you comfortable till you die. It's to make you uncomfortable to get you in the kingdom. Because I would rather you not like me so much now. <laughs> Thanks for liking me. But when you stand before God to hear him say, well done. And ultimately, I have to answer for that. I mean, I have to look at myself every day in the mirror and say, God, am I listening to you? Am I following you? Or am I just giving people what they want? Remember the itching ears? Did the Give them what they want. Not, we don't need to be offensive. I mean, I know that people say, well, Jesus offended people. Yeah, but not the way you are. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know how they're different. I just know that they are. And so whenever we have to use Jesus as a reason to be offensive to people, uh, it's probably not Jesus at all. So just take a step back and make sure. Anyway, so we have to make decisions that not are based on our habits, not are based on our preferences, but we want God's opinion. God, where do you want me to sit today? You know where you sat today? Where you wanted to sit, where you were most comfortable. I'm comfortable back here. If you're easily distracted, what in the world are you doing in the back row? You know how distracting it is in the back row? I, you know, how many of you know I took down the overflow seating? Did you notice I took it down? Because we're going to talk about it. And I didn't want anyone sitting in the overflow seating to feel bad. And Because here's the thing. We put up overflow seating because this room, this bottom floor holds 400 people and we're 80. Okay, so here's what you do. When you're the pastor and you read, look, all you see is empty space everywhere you look. That's kind of depressing. And uh, I mean, I can, you know, just stir up the gift within me and I can preach no matter what. But if we actually sat closer together and toward the front, it would actually do something for the people on the platform leading us. It would actually encourage them. And it would do something for you too. The room would feel fuller. So you know what we did? We said, hey, let's not sit in these back rows, not because we don't like you and not because we don't want you to sit there, but because it would make the room feel fuller and it would actually be a benefit to all of us. And when people came in to visit, they wouldn't think we're dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. That's what the people think. Because listen, if you invited me to your, your home for supper and you had a family of five and you had a dining room table that seated 25, <laughs> and there were five chairs between each of the members of your family, I would think you're dysfunctional. I would think that. What do you think people who walk in this room, who watch us sit in all the far corners, why don't they like each other? And they watch the way we worship. Are they, in, are they drawing to, near to God because of us? Or are we actually, oh, but pastor, we would love our, we want our church to be unified. We want there to be a great spirit in the room. Is what we're doing going to get us there? And if it's not, and then, God forbid, if we put up overflow seating, you would think, <sighs> I took down the cross. Because I've asked us to sit somewhere else. All I'm trying to do is help us. Does that make sense? Okay, so next week, the overflow seating's coming back. I'd encourage you to sit not just one row in front of them, but many rows in front. Because here's what I know. People with small children get thrown up on as they're ready to leave the house. Some of them are going to come late. Wouldn't it be better for us to not have to have them distract the entire congregation by walking to the front row because that's what we've saved for them? Wouldn't it be better for us to save the back row for people that do have to come late because they overslept or something just happened? Life happens sometimes. You come late. It's not like a, you, you don't have to wear an L, a scarlet letter L on your chest for a week when you were late to church on Sunday. It's okay. 
but let's make room for them by moving to the front. I know that doesn't sound real spiritual, but it's true. So we need to know what, what God wants our church to look like, what steps we need to take to get there. I listened to this teaching by Nick Saban this week. How many of you know Nick Saban? I love Nick Saban, even though he was not good to the Dolphins. I don't hold it against him, and I don't, love, I don't hate the fact that Alabama wins all the time. I hate the fact that the Patriots win all the time, but not Alabama. So I don't know why, but that's just how I feel, and so I live by it. <laughs> just being real. But anyway, Nick Saban is doing this leadership teaching, and he's talking about the program that they developed at uh, Alabama. And he said, it's the individuals who make a team, not the other way around. The team doesn't make individuals. The individuals make the team. See, Alabama has a winning program. And if you think that if I go there, I'll just become a winner, you're missing the point. Because to have a winning program, they all have an agreed-upon standard that they're going to live by day after day after day after day after day. They're going to discipline themselves, and they're going to hold each other accountable to that standard. And if you do, you're going to win. That's so true of the church. We think if we just go to the church that's got everything going, we'll just have life. It's the people who make the church, not the church who makes the people. So if we don't like what we are, look at ourselves and say, where is what I'm doing leading where I want to go? That's some good stuff. And I don't know if it works for Alabama or not, but it would work in the church. So... It's not just the vision for our church, the vision for your personal life or your family. Do you choose the job based on your preference, based on what's going to make you the most money, based on what's going to give you the best hours for you? Do you choose the activities that you're involved in or your kids are involved in or what vacation you go on or what purchase you make and your lifestyle choices? Is it just to enjoy the moment? Is it just to get the most out of life? Is it to have quality family time? Is that the quality family time God wants for your family? I'm not saying you can't choose these things. I'm saying, are you asking? Is God directing you or is it just whatever everyone else is doing? After all, we want our kids to grow up with a broad range of experiences. No, I want my kids to grow up knowing the power of God. Who cares what they experience in this world? Because that won't get them anywhere. I don't mind if they experience other things, but if they're not experiencing the power of God, it's my job as a parent to help them experience that. So are our day-to-day choices leading us where we want to end up? After all, the creator of the universe would probably have a good idea of how to get us where he wants us to go, right? So we have to start with God's vision. And then the second thing is we have to trust that God is taking us there. We have to know where he wants to take us and then trust that he's taking us there. The verse in scripture, verse 16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Translated a lot of different ways in a lot of different Bibles. In fact, it's an idiom, it's a phrase in the Greek language meaning redeem the time in these evil days. Redeem the time, buy back, purchase the time in these evil days. So scholars really don't know how to translate that into English. I picked a version that says make the most of every opportunity. In other words, use every moment of your life to move you towards God's vision. Every moment. Use every Sunday, every day of our lives to move our church toward the vision God has from us. Trust that he's taking us there. Trust that he is actually ordering our steps. What about when someone gets in the way of that? Can I tell you something? Ain't nobody can get in the way of God's vision for your life. 
That's what the scripture says. Now, they might make it difficult or uncomfortable, but when did our comfort become our goal? Because it's not the goal in scripture. We as Americans avoid hardship like the plague. We pray for it. Oh God, let everything go smooth today. Do you know that that is so contradictory to what God wants for your life? That to answer that prayer for you would keep you immature. How do I know that? Right here. Consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You cannot be mature and complete without lacking anything, without facing hardship with joy. You can't. It's impossible. So when you pray, oh, Lord, let everything go smooth today. You're actually praying, oh, Lord, let me be a spoiled little brat. That's what we're doing. Because, you know, you know the people that get everything they want when they want it and everything in life, there's no challenges? We call them spoiled brats. We shouldn't because, you know, that's terrible language. But we, that's the cultural name for them. But that's what we're asking God to do. And he's like, no, I love you way too much to let you be like that. So I'm not going to remove every difficulty from your life, but I'm giving you everything you need in the midst of that difficulty. Does that make sense? Even Jesus learned obedience through suffering. And yet you and I feel like we can learn obedience some other way. There is some character in our lives that can only be gained through hardship. So just because you have a vision of where God's going to take you and it looks like someone's in the path, they're not. You just need to know how to deal with that in a godly way. We need to learn something that can only be gained when we're mistreated by someone and we have to bless them in return. Bless them and not curse them. Something grows on the inside of us. Do good to those who hate you. But see, when we keep getting offended by people, we stay stunted in our growth. So yeah, we've served God a long time and we know all kinds of scripture verses, but we haven't grown because we keep blaming that circumstance and blaming that person for keeping us where God wants us to go. And he's like, no, I actually put that person in your way because you needed to gain something to get you where I want you to go and that person was going to help you and so I put them there. Wow, that's interesting. But we get pouty when we're mistreated or we get pouty when life gets hard and God wants us to overcome. He wants us to dig in, press in, dig deep, overcome. Have you heard these words yet today? Yeah, I, we've heard them and look, they're right here in my notes. Uh, that's why I said them loudly because that's what's in my notes. Did I mention that he's with you? Did I mention that he's ordering your steps? So he's not surprised that that person or circumstance is there. He's doing something in your character. He wants you to overcome it. He wants you to contend for breakthrough in that moment. He wants you to get over that circumstance or to walk through with those people, not step on those people, please, but walk through with them because that hardship is going to prepare us for where we want to go. If he just gets you to the destination without giving you the journey, you're not going to be ready for the destination. So hardship doesn't mean you've taken a wrong turn or someone getting in your way or when you open a garbage can lid and something pops out. That doesn't mean you've opened the wrong lid. God wants you to use that moment. Every moment in these evil days. In these evil days. That, doesn't, that means God did not bring that person to your life or cause that person to be mean. But he used it because we're in evil days. 
And so he's like, look at all I have to work with. This is great. I mean, God is super excited by all of the crazy people in your life that he gets to use to shape your character. But you keep mouthing off about the people in your life. Make the most of every opportunity to get you where you want to go anyway. All right, the last one. Watch your steps. Watch your steps. Be careful how you live. Not as fools, but as those who are wise. So be careful how you live. Literally watch your step. Yesterday, I had a chance to go for a run. I haven't gone for a run all this year yet. And so I was super excited, and I'm like, it's melted enough. And I have these things called Yaks tracks. If you don't know what they are, they're metal coils that I wear in the bottom of my running shoes. And when I run on them on ice and snow, I don't even think about it. I just run. I don't have to worry about falling. They keep me up. And if they ever fail, I'm going to go down hard because I don't think about it at all. Um, I did it first. I wasn't sure. But as I've tested them, they work. And I can just run like normal and listen to sermons and get, you know, sometimes I get distracted by the sermon and forget where I am, which is dangerous with cars the way some people drive. But I should pay attention still. But yesterday, I'm like, oh, it's melted enough. I could probably run without my yak tracks. Big mistake. It hadn't melted enough where I ran. So I ran nine minute pace, which is slow for me, might be fast for you, but that's okay. Because we're all different. All of our armor's different. But it was slow. And I had to run slow because I had to watch my step. And the whole time I'm like, wow, this is really going to fit with my sermon tomorrow. I'm really understanding. That's how we're called to live. Not thoughtlessly with the yak tracks. We think that when I get mature in Christ, I've, I've memorized the Bible now, I don't have to live as careful. I mean, I can just, I know what to do. And yet the Apostle Paul has these words for us. These things happened to them as an example and they were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. See, he's not writing to immature believers here. He's writing to believers. He's saying, be careful how you live. If you don't actually pay attention you're going to actually do something that you think is pleasing to God because you've memorized the Bible and it's really not leading you to God's desire. You have to watch where you're stepping. Maturity isn't needing the spirit less in my life. It's understanding that I need him more. Yes, get in the word. Yes, memorize it so that the spirit has something to draw from. But if you think just memorizing the word on your own and applying it with your own human logic is going to get you where you want to go, you're sadly mistaken. Because knowledge puffs up but the Spirit gives life. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 7, anyone who hears my word and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. But everyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. So we need to be continually practicing the words of Jesus. Jesus said fools, remember Paul says don't live like fools, fools continually ignore the words of Jesus. They hear them, they just don't continue to do them. There's a disconnect. They've memorized the Bible, but they're not applying the Bible. This is where it's going to really get hard for a second. The wise hear the words of God, but they continue to do them. Day after 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 day. That's what they do. Okay? Again, Nick Saban, Alabama, says, you know, in our culture... We have to understand there's things I want to do that I have to say no to if I want to reach my goal. There are things that I don't want to do that I have to say yes to because I want to reach my goal. We have got to, as the body of Christ, pay attention to those areas 
of disconnect in our lives, where we've memorized the Bible, but we're not living it. Okay, intelligence quotient, IQ. Do you know what IQ is? IQ is the knowledge that you got up here in your head. There's something else called emotional quotient, EQ. Emotional quotient is what I do with what's up there. You know, some people, we value IQ in America because we're like, the more you know, knowledge is power. But it's really not. The application of knowledge is power. And some people got a lot up here, but they don't really live out a lot. And a lot of Christians have memorized the cover, book to, uh, the book cover to cover, like the Pharisees, but we, we're, there's a huge disconnect in our lives. High IQ, low EQ. A book I'm reading by Jeff Grinnell, this is how he describes it. In fact, he describes it way better than me, so let's just see what he says. You'll never be able to avoid the storms of life, but you will always be able to dance in the rain. We'll never be able to control what happens to us. What we can control is how we respond to what happens to us. Balancing our emotions and training the mind is the key to overcoming circumstances and difficult people. It is not about how much we know. It is more about how well we manage what we know. There's a difference between intelligence quotient, IQ, an emotional quotient, EQ. Our IQ is the level of our knowledge of information and how we acquire and use it. Our EQ is how we process that information and how we respond to it. Too many people value the IQ above the EQ. As valuable as our IQ is to us, our emotions are just as important to the development as our, of our intellect. The stability of our lives is dependent upon both. Hardship, like rain, will come to each of us. How we respond to it is critical. And that takes a lot of training. What if your boss at work, the Holy Spirit actually prompted him to make a stupid decision just to teach you character in your response? Could, could happen, couldn't it? My boss could never be spirit-led, Pastor Tom. Well, everyone can be spirit-led because even God used a donkey to speak in the Old Testament, so he can do anything, not calling your boss a donkey in any way. Please don't make that connection. But see, we sometimes react to the hardship, and we don't understand how James 1, 2 through 4 applies at work when our boss is asking us to do something that's making our lives more frustrating, and it's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's a weird way to express joy over that. That's the disconnect. And we blame our boss. We blame our circuit. If I could just get a different job, everything would be different. And it is for like six months. And then you realize that you work with flawed people in that place, just like at the last place. The problem isn't your boss, and it isn't your job, and it's your EQ. Not your IQ, your EQ. As parents, we scream at our kids because they, they never listen to us. Really? They never listen to us. But Pastor Tom, I have the right to rant on Facebook today because I'm just emotionally drained. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot when we were emotionally drained, we are also drained of the Spirit's power. I failed just like you fail, and I'm as guilty today as you are. But here's the thing. I'm not going to let that define me. I'm just going to call that an invitation to live at a higher level. And that's what it's, he's doing. We all know that the Bible says do not slander, and yet it shows up in all of our lives because we miss the disconnect of how, what slander actually looks like when we're talking about that person to someone else. It's slander. 
and we're missing, it's a disconnect. It'd be better for us to read that verse in the Bible until we got it right than to read seven chapters that day. You understand what I'm saying? Please don't misunderstand me. Read through the Bible in a year, grow from it, it's great. But we, there's a disconnect. We celebrate the stories of the Bible, but when they show up in our real lives, we don't like them. Remember Jonathan, the armor bearer? Armor bearer, let's go to the Philistine outpost. Me and you, let's go attack that army. Who knows? Maybe God will help. I need a little more assurance than who knows, maybe God will help. What do you think? And his assurance is, if we, they're on the high ground and we're coming up, if they say, come up, (laughs) that's the sign we should go. Are you an idiot? Of course they want us to come up. That puts them at the advantage. And you see, we celebrate that story, but whenever someone comes into our lives, like our boss or our pastor, and says, hey, let's do this. Who knows? Maybe God will help. That's just not logical. God would never ask us to do that, the same God that did that throughout the book that we celebrate and sing songs about, clap our hands and teach in Sunday school, but he would never ask us to do that. You see the disconnect? I mean, we mock people who would sell everything because they felt like God was calling them to the mission field and it didn't work out. Well, that must not have been God. Really? Because God's more interested in the journey than the destination. And maybe he really didn't want them to go on the mission field. He just wanted to work something into their character that was willing to go on the mission field, that was willing to sell everything, that was willing to do this. Maybe that's what he wanted. We think God's interested in destinations. No, 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 no. He's interested in journeys. In developing us along the way. The same God that said to Abraham, leave everything and follow me, I'll show you where to go, might say that to you. And you might look stupid in front of your friends, but here's the thing. I hope that this body would never act like that to you. I hope we would celebrate your courageous faith to listen to God, even if it was wrong. Now, if it contradicts the Bible, we have the Bible to help us not make really stupid mistakes. But if we're thinking we're just going to arrive safely at death, We don't know the Bible, and we don't know the God of the Bible. So what's God's vision? You're like, Pastor Tom, did you forget about Jeff's book? Nope. What is worship? Worship God and serve him only. Every one of us is like, yeah, I'd I'd do that. Are you sure? Are you sure? The, The subtitle of this book, I love it, is called Cultivating a Closer Friendship with God. Here's what I know. God's vision for everyone in this room, for every family in this room, and for this church is a closer friendship with him. That's the the beginning part. So how do we get there? He's going to help us. I mean, I, I love quotes like this from his book. Could it be that if we delighted ourselves in him, first and foremost, that he would flow effortlessly like a river into us first, refreshing and cleansing us, and then flow wonderfully out of us, impacting the world around us in ways we could never manufacture on our own? See, do you believe that Moses had a face-to-face relationship with God, but that was just for Moses? Or do you believe the type of relationship God had with Moses, he wants to have with you? He does. He does. And the only reason he would ever rebuke you for anything you're doing in your life is because he knows that that'll never get you there. He knows that you're settling for something far inferior to what he has planned for you, so he'll rebuke you at times. He'll come into your life and say, you know, there's unbelief. Did you know that every one of us in this room has unbelief in our lives right now? And that's okay. Well, it's not okay. But, I mean, it's not our identity. Our identity is in Christ. 
But Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome the disconnect in my lives because I want to go where you're leading me. The spirit-filled life for some of us is all IQ and not EQ. It's all IQ and not EQ. And the reason that I brought back altars that are like chairs up here is because I think we need to be intentional and start encountering God when we're here. So these are places of encounter. They're places of surrender. They're not just places, the only place you're going to encounter God, but this is where the encounter starts. See, everything I've put in front of you today, what are you going to do with it? Because if it's just IQ, if it's just information and you're going to process it and walk out, if you're not going to say, Holy Spirit, I need it to become EQ, because he's the EQ. The only way that this is going to actually show up in our day-to-day lives is if we stay connected to the body of Christ and we actually dig in to an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And today, at the end of service, we're actually going to use a song that I want us to, to sing together And uh, it's a song called The Heart of Worship. Jeff talks about it in one of the chapters in his book that you're going to read this week. And the story behind The Heart of Worship, he doesn't give you in the book. Heart of Worship was written a number of years ago by Matt Redman. He's a worship leader in England. And they were getting in the habit of worshiping. They had great worship, great band, lights, all kinds of stuff. But their worship was kind of empty. They felt like it was empty. And as leaders, they were were like, man, it's like we're, we're... we're not engaging God, we're just engaging the music. And we're not worshiping. And do you know what the pastor did? He said, we're not going to have any more music until I say so. The unquenchable worshiper by Matt Redman, he's like, dude, that's a little extreme. I mean, after all, I'm the worship leader. What am I going to do if we can't have music? And so their church went, he says it was awkward. We would come to church and it was just awkward. There was awkward silence. We didn't know what to do. But we learned to reconnect with God without music. We learned to worship. And the first Sunday that they started with music again, he wrote the song, The Heart of Worship. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song. For in a song in itself is not what you require. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. So I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. I mean, Jeff had an encounter with that song and he didn't even know the backstory of the song. You know the backstory. And today what I want us to do is encounter God. Say, God, I, I, I do worship you. I feel like I worship you, but help me overcome the lack of worship the disconnect, where I've made worship something else. Take a moment at the end of this service today, get a vision for yourself. Get a vision for your family. Get a vision for our church. Begin to let God speak those things into your heart. Begin to pay attention to the steps he wants you to take. Begin to yield to it. Begin to yield to that difficult circumstance and that difficult person. Not yield to it as just accept it and just, you know, learn to deal with it, but learn to overcome it. You don't have to accept your sickness. You need to contend for healing. You need to learn how to do that. God wants you to do it. He didn't bring sickness into your life. You're just in evil days. So make the most of every opportunity in these evil days to go toward where he wants you to go. Does that make sense? I want you to stand with me this morning. I want you to just bow your heads for a moment. And in just a moment, as we sing this song, I want you to respond to him. I want you to respond 
to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now. It may be different for everyone in the room. If you are living thoughtlessly, you have no idea what God's vision is for your life. You've been content to live thoughtlessly as a church. It's just about your preference. Whatever that thoughtless is for you, you need an encounter with God to get a vision for your life, for your family, for your church. His vision for you. If you've been complaining about opportunities instead of making the most of them, just repent. Just come to him and say, God, I I don't wanna live this way anymore. You're ordering my steps and you've brought me to this point for a purpose. You want me to gain something, learn something, grow? I wanna do it. I surrender fully to you. I trust that you're getting me where I need to go. I trust that you're ordering my steps. I don't need to get out of this. I need you. See, I don't know if you've ever seen cool runnings. This word came to me today. I thought it was for someone else. Maybe it's for all of us. But the guy who cheated, the coach, is trying to talk to the the guy that wants a gold medal so bad. And he looks at, he says, why did you cheat? And he tells the guy who wants the gold medal so bad, he says, if you're not good enough without it, you'll never be good enough with it. I don't mind you seeking healing. I don't mind you seeking breakthrough. But if you're not good enough in God without it, you'll never be good enough with it. If he's not enough on the journey, he won't be enough in the destination. Make the most of every opportunity. Be careful how you live, applying every day. These aren't rebukes, these are invitations. Invitations to higher levels of living. So let's take a few moments together and let's just come back to the heart of worship. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You want to come and kneel at this altar. These altars are going to be open to you. You need to kneel at your seat. You want to get on your face. You want to stand with your hands raised. But just encounter him. Let him begin to speak to you. And let's begin to worship him together through this song today. That's the wrong song. When the music fades, all is stripped away. Don't just and sing I it. simply live it. Come. Live it right now. Live it. Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus King of endless words 
settings mistakenly understand the flow of the spirit to think that everything moves smoothly that like I, I just picked the wrong song and we started and man that really quenches the spirit or it throws 
And we pray things like, oh God, help everything to just go smoothly today. I don't know how many of you in your daily lives, things just go smooth. Or we mistakenly think, you know, I need to like, I need a couple songs to just get in the spirit. How many of you in your daily lives get a few songs before you have to give a reaction to get in the spirit? I'm not, I'm not mistaken. I mean, I get it. I understand. It's way easier to respond right to people after a few minutes in the Lord's presence. But we've got to get to the place where we're ready to respond to the Lord in the midst of the choppiness where it doesn't matter if the person on the platform just plays the wrong key, the wrong song, sings the wrong words. We shouldn't even notice they're the wrong words because that's life. And I don't want to get good in this room at being polished. Now, here's the thing. I want to do things with excellence, absolutely. It used to frustrate me to no end when things didn't go right because I was raised to believe that no, you just had to, you didn't want to quench the spirit. That's not what quenching the spirit is. Quenching the spirit is not a mistake or choppiness because you can engage with the spirit through the choppiness. And we have to if we're going to make a difference in our world. So I'm kind of glad I played the wrong song first. Lord, help us to learn to worship you in spirit and in truth, in the majestic and the mundane. Over these next weeks, God, teach us how to worship you the way you want to be worshiped, the way you deserve to be worshiped. God, teach us that worship is more than a song. It's more than a service. God, teach us what worship is. God, use this testimony, use your word, use each other in these discussions. God, to help us draw closer to you. God, to, so that you show up in our lives in ways you never have before. God, raise our IQ over these next few weeks and raise our EQ. Show us the areas of disconnect in our lives. And Holy Spirit, help us to let you burst into those areas. I pray your blessing over this body today to be able to receive that, to live that. God, a grace right now on their lives to receive it and to live it in this new week. Holy Spirit, I pray your blessing. I pray your peace. I pray your hope. I pray your joy over every member of this body. I pray the grace to worship you in the, the, the smooth times and to worship you in the, the difficult times this week. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to spend time at the altar, you're more than welcome to stay as long as you want. If you want to just worship where you are, you're free to do that. If you want to be dismissed, just do it quietly and let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend some more time in prayer. God bless you as you go.